This is the Early Childhood Research Podcast, and you're listening to Episode 4. Welcome to the Early Childhood Research Podcast, where we tell you how the latest research can help in your home and in your classroom. Welcome, it's great to have you here. I'm Liz, and I'm the host of the Early Childhood Research Podcast. This is Episode 4, and today I'm speaking to teacher and researcher Alison Cameron about using music to help prepare children for school. Alison has been teaching music for many years, but she also specialised in learning difficulties through her master's degree, and she's currently working on her PhD at the Early Start Research Institute based at the University of Wollongong in Australia. During the last school term of 2014, Alison was asked to run a school readiness program by a community centre that was preparing their children for kindergarten. And these children had never attended preschool, so there was some concern about how well they would be able to adapt and be ready for making friends and learning. Before going to the interview, I'll let you know that Alison has prepared a PDF that outlines how to run an effective music session with your kids, even if you have no experience, along with links to free resources that you can use. You can download that by going to lizesearlylearningspot.com, clicking on the podcast tab and looking for episode four. Now to the interview. Alison Cameron, welcome to the Early Childhood Research Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's no problem. It's my pleasure. This program was all about school readiness, and I know you wanted to put an emphasis on social skills. What social skills did you choose to emphasise? Well, being able to wait for your turn to speak is really important in the classroom, but it's also important in order to become a good friend, that you can listen to your friend and not talk over the top of them all the time, which is really important in the playground as well as in the classroom. The other sorts of things that I would be looking at would be not just taking turns with speaking, but taking turns with equipment. Obviously, when I started the classes, I made sure that every child got a turn, but gradually throughout them, I lessened that because being able to cope with the disappointment of not always getting a turn is really important. But it was those sorts of things that I was thinking about. It's also an important part of delaying gratification. For example, in the classroom, you don't get to tell your news every day, but you know that on Thursdays, it's going to be your day. These are really important skills for children because it actually helps them in their learning and helps them to be a really valued member of the class. The other things that overlap with social skills are executive function skills, which are things like self-regulation, being able to plan and understand the concept of planning from the teacher's instructions, inhibition control, so knowing when to stop, when to start, and working memory skills. I was thinking about being able to follow through with a series of instructions, listen to those instructions, take them on board and then act on them, because often children who are able to master those skills very quickly learn more because they actually spend more time on task in the classroom children who struggle with those things often spend a lot of time going back to the teacher saying what are we meant to be doing and then they'll get lost on the way to getting the book that they need children actually need lots of opportunities to practice those skills because that's how they learn and then i guess the other thing i was thinking about was extending their concentration In a kindergarten classroom, 45 minutes is a really long time. So having lots of short activities that I gradually extended 
over the time. I was just looking at always just sort of stretching them just that little bit so that they could stay with me on the activity that we were doing and finish that one because that's really important too for children's sense of accomplishment to be able to stick with a task and finish it. Even though we were doing this in a very, very supportive environment, they're really practical skills that children can take everywhere with them, not just in the classroom. You've got all these great skills that the kids need to use, and that was obviously your focus for the program. Besides the fact that you're a music teacher, why choose music to develop these skills? Music's innately human, and you might hear someone say, I don't like country music. But it would be a really unusual person that said that they didn't like music at all. And most children engage very well with music. So there's a whole lot of things. It's fun. So they're likely to want to take part in it. There's lots of short activities. So children get lots of opportunities to practice transitions, which are often very difficult. If there's one activity that they don't really enjoy, they're not going to have to do it for a long time. They're going to be going on to something else that they're probably going to enjoy more. The other thing is that movement's really important in music. So that's great for children that have trouble sitting still. Also, because we used instruments in the program, that poses some really great challenges for children. Learning not to get too overexcited and to look after the instrument and learning to stop and start at the same time. And that's a fabulous thing because they also get really excited and happy when they do it well. And it's very immediate, that sense that, yes, we did it. And they love that we did it as a group. It's very, very satisfying. I guess the other two things were that music classes are really teacher-centred. And so very much focusing on the teacher, listening really carefully, and then acting on that. And then the final thing would be that the Schools as Community Centre facilitator actually requested music because music had benefited one of her children who had had a disability and so she didn't need any convincing. So how many children were involved? We had eight children in the program. Occasionally we had a couple of extras that sort of turned up. Of that age, we had about six regular participants. Right, and were the parents in the classroom with you? Parents were up the other end of the rooms, so the children could go back and touch base with them if they wanted to. I think the parents were actually enjoying just the opportunity to sit and chat to other parents. So it was sort of a little bit of relaxation time for them. But for a child that wasn't used to being separated from their parent, it was great because the child could just go back and touch base with them and then come back. But gradually I noticed that they did that less and less because they were used to me and they were used to the routine of the class. So that would be preparing for school as well, that separation. It's a really nice, gentle way for those children to know that their parents there, but realise that they don't need them and that they can manage. And good for their parents' confidence as well. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, yeah, very important. Did you have any particular kinds of activities or procedures that seemed more effective than others in getting them ready for school? Look, I couldn't say that there was one particular thing. It was the combination of things and the fact that I had a very strong sense of routine in the lesson. So they very quickly learn. We start with a welcoming song. Then we do our activities that are focused on beach. So we had our drum songs. We had particular musical games that we always played. We had particular language and rhyming activities that we do. So they were really familiar with the routine. And most kindergarten teachers are very big on routine. 
We often forget that young children need lots of opportunities to practice their skills and what might seem too many repetitions for an adult is actually perfect for a child. We can think it's a bit boring. It's not boring for a child, it's learning for a child. (laughs) These children are at such a disadvantage compared to other children who might have been in preschool for years and they've had all this time to practice all these skills. If they haven't practiced them hundreds, they might have practiced them thousands of times. And that makes a really big difference. And often in the classroom, it's the children that struggle with those organisational, social things that happen in the classroom that prevent them from learning and being the best they can be. Lots of parents obviously put their children into music and dance classes when they're small, but they can be very expensive and out of reach. If a group of parents or community playgroup want to introduce music to help their kids get ready for school, what kind of equipment would they need? Because everything's electronic or digital, we tend to think we need lots of equipment. But actually to do music, the most important instrument you have is your voice. And your body is also an instrument for body percussion. So you don't necessarily have to buy resources. There's probably a number of components of running a simple music activity, like having a regular good morning song or a greeting song, where while you actually sing the song, you're tapping the beat. And while you're tapping the beat, then we can invite children to figure out, well, where could you tap? Where would you like to tap the beat? Would you like to tap your head or would you like to tap your shoulders? And if you have a group of children, maybe eight or nine children, you can actually do that relatively quickly with a short song, but every child can get a turn. And that means that every child's had nine opportunities to practice tapping the beat. Then you can do something like walking the beat to chant a nursery rhyme to you can set them a challenge. Do you think we could do it fast? Let's do little mouse steps and do it fast. Or can we do big elephant steps and do it slowly? And slow is really hard for children. So I usually do fast before I do slow. And I probably lots of parents would agree with that, that their children are very good at fast and not as good at slow. I always include some nursery rhymes and some finger rhymes because there's a really big crossover between language and music nursery rhymes like Humpty Dumpty, Twinkle Twinkle, Incy Wincy. Kids don't get sick of those and they'll often request their favourites. With nursery rhymes I have images on card so I might have a picture of Humpty Dumpty on a card and we talk about it and we say what rhyme might this one be? So we're also introducing an early literacy activity there. If you don't have money for musical instruments you can make musical instruments It's quite easy to find online a lot of resources for making a drum or for making a shaker. But if you do have some money for instruments, then you can buy a little pair of egg shakers. I think they're about $4 a pair. They're really, really durable. They've got many, many uses. The other thing I would sort of suggest that's really good are rhythm sticks. They're not expensive and they've got lots of uses and they're relatively safe as well. But, you know, little things like hand bells and tambourines, I probably wouldn't recommend quite as much, even though they're lovely, but in a playgroup setting, they're likely to get damaged more easily. So you might only have one for a couple of weeks and someone puts their hand through it. The things that are pretty indestructible that can take a lot of use are money well spent. My preference is with nursery rhymes and things not to use CDs because often we're really afraid of singing. Recordings sound lovely, but they're a bit too busy for children to take in all of the information that we would ideally like them to get from nursery rhymes. And I've got a little handout with some information there about my particular things that I like and things that I find really good.
A really simple game that you can play with the children is called The Children Are Going to Sleep. Usually I would do it first where I get to be the person who's singing the children to sleep and we sing, the children are going to sleep, the children are going to sleep, ah, ah, the children are going to sleep. And then they'll lie down and go to sleep and I'll get a musical instrument and while they're lying there, all of a sudden I'll start playing the instrument and wake them up and say, wake up, wake up. And then each child gets a turn and they absolutely love it. But it's a really great way to get them to self-regulate. They'll have a child that cannot sit still will happily lie down and pretend to go to sleep. And because it's a very short period and then they get woken up, sometimes for some children, you might need to sing the song really quickly so that they can be successful and stay asleep until they're woken up. But it's a fabulous little thing just to do from the point of view of taking turns. It's not your turn yet, but Rebecca's going to have a turn and then it will be your turn. And seeing the instrument and the structure of the song really helps children to go, okay, I see how that works. It will be my turn in a minute. I'm not going to miss out. And then just having a little song at the end to close. So it doesn't have to be very long and not to worry if it's not perfect because anyone that works with children knows that perfection is very unlikely anyhow. It's the fun that's the most important. When you start doing something like that, it's the first time you've done it and it's the first time the child's done it. But once they know the routine, they'll get the hang of it just as you will. And the other thing I would suggest is if you're doing it in a play group and you're the leader, write yourself a little list of the things that you're going to do and just have it with you because teachers use lesson plans for really good reasons so they don't forget things. And I always have what I'm going to do written down. Now, lots of it I've got in my head and lots of it I will remember, but I've always got it there just in case I suddenly think, what was I going to do next? And I can just go back and have a quick look. In a playgroup, I would actually also say, make sure everyone has a go at leading the session because even if it's a little bit daunting, we actually learn best by doing. And you might have someone in the group that's sort of a naturally bossy person that likes to be the leader, but don't let them do it all the time because everyone learns from everyone else and someone else might bring something along to the session and everyone say, that's a fabulous idea. We could keep doing that so you can learn from each other. The community centre coordinator who gave you these children to work with told you that the effects of your program on the children were, quote, beyond her expectations. Were you surprised at how well the program went? I was surprised in in some ways in that given the way some of the children were at the start of the eight-week period, there were a few of them I was thinking, gosh, they're going to have a hard time at school next year. But by the end of the eight weeks, they really developed so amazingly that it was really quite astounding. And I think it was that very strong, very predictable thing about this is what's going to happen in this class. Children do love routine. They like that security of nothing's going to happen. But they also love that sense of accomplishment. And I think it was sort of the combination of those things. And often with a lot of music things, we can say, well, it doesn't have to be perfect. We're not actually striving for perfection. The experience is the outcome in itself. There's a lot of satisfaction for children there. But it was quite amazing at the end of the eight weeks that we had a little demonstration class 
And you would normally expect children to get quite distracted by having all those people there and not to be able to focus on what we'd been doing. But they just did it so amazingly well. And part of it was because they were really proud of what they'd achieved and they really wanted to show everyone what they could do, which was lovely. A big bit of feedback was them starting school the following year. The facilitator following those children up, going and seeing how they were going in the classroom, talking to the parents and talking to the class teacher and them all having settled in really, really easily. So it was a really lovely success. Obviously the music classes weren't the only reason the children did well in kinder because the community centre had been working with them when they'd visited for the three terms previously. What do you have to say about the effect of doing the music in the fourth term? It was sort of like that that term was a bit like the icing on the cake. Also with the goal of presenting something to their parents, which we also talked about in the classes that we were, one of the reasons we were doing these things was to practice them so that we could show that they were doing these amazing things. Were the children worried about having to do a presentation? No, they were really looking forward to it, particularly to see them on the day, how excited they were and they'd all got dressed up and they were really looking forward to it. I know that you're hoping to extend this program further and that you're going to be running more classes with Indigenous children at another centre this next school term. Do you have long-term plans for where this school readiness program might lead? Well, I would absolutely love for it to be something that we are able to continue to do. Research shows that children from disadvantaged backgrounds tend to not access the same amounts of early childhood education as maybe other children, but also that those children really, really benefit from it incredibly and it helps them to start school on a much more equal footing. If we're talking about, particularly with Indigenous children, closing the gap and a lot of closing the gaps about health, but it's also about educational outcomes and it actually starts even before school. So if we can get children to school ready to learn, ready to be engaged and also not fearful of that experience of being in a classroom, they'll be much more successful. And I think there's there's great I think there's a lot of potential for these types of programs to benefit a lot of children. Alison, I've really enjoyed learning about how you worked with these kids and the positive effects a music program can have on school readiness. And I also appreciate it because you've told us that we don't need to be brilliant singers and we don't need to have musical training to be able to implement these ideas. We might not do it quite as well as you, but I'm sure that some of our listeners will decide to take the plunge and add some purposeful music activities to their kids' days. I really hope so. So thanks again for joining us, Alison, and I wish you great success as you continue to develop this program and work through your PhD. Well, it's my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Alison Cameron. I do apologise for the sound quality. Alison lives outside the city, so the internet connection was spotty. Remember that Alison created a PDF for us that outlines suggestions for what we can do if we start a music program and links to free resources. You can download that by going to lizesearlylearningspot.com, clicking on the podcast tab and finding episode 4. You'll also find a full transcript of our conversation and a pinnable image in case you want to add it to Pinterest as a reminder for later. 
If you enjoyed this episode, it would help us out if you went to iTunes to submit a rating and review. Thank you for joining me to learn a little more about early childhood research, and I wish you happy teaching and learning. Thanks for listening to the Early Childhood Research Podcast at www.lizsearlylearningspot.com.